This morning, we're continuing our series called Bad Religion, and we're taking a look at some Christian theology that we've gained over the years that isn't quite right. It's close, but it's not quite right. And because of that, it's affected the way that we view and treat people around us, and unfortunately, how people view and treat us as Christians. You see, the world doesn't treat us as the woman at the bar, or as this bully intellectual guy, or even as the friend who steps up to interfere for his friend. No, the world views us as Christians as the Ben Affleck character, the one who's kind of aloof and taken back, who's just kind of sitting there scratching their head saying, what? <laughs> right? They're kind of like, a, oh, I, uh. the world thinks that when we're pressured as Christians, that when we're combated against what we should know, that we just try to retreat and we go silent and we go quiet because we don't have the answers. Because believe it or not, the world actually thinks that we as Christians, that we're unintelligent, that we're uneducated. In fact, that's what I get to talk about this morning is that bad religion assumes that being religious is anti-intelligent. What I mean by that is we've gone through our entire lives believing this lie that you have to know everything there is to know, the ins and outs of the Bible, of religion, of scripture, of Jesus, of God, of faith, of belief, of hope in order to be a good Christian. Because if we don't have all the answers, if we don't know all these things, when people come against us, when they start to ask us questions and we don't have an answer to it, well, it makes us look bad. It makes us look uneducated. The world says, you see, you never even knew to begin with because you don't have any proof. You don't have any evidence because your God isn't real to begin with. And we shut down. And I think there's one of three ways, again, that we can respond to this. Either as the woman who sits at the bar saying, people, just leave us alone. I'm comfortable in my Christianity and what I believe and what I know and what I hold true. So people can do whatever they want to do and think whatever they want to think about me, but I'm just happy with where I'm at. Or as the intellectual guy where we try to memorize bits and pieces of scripture that we can just pop into conversations at will or certain bullet points or things that we liked from a sermon message that we can use when we're talking to people, but when questioned upon it, we can't go any further than it because that's all we know. Or as the friend who actually can legitimately stand their ground in a conversation as a Christian who knows their stuff, who knows why they believe what they believe, the backing, the evidence, the proof behind it, and can hold this conversation without ever getting into an argument or without ever being combative when we approach people. Because the world thinks that we are unintelligent and we need to do something about it. You know, in 2018, the Pew Research released a study and they found that 51% of people who attend church for the very first time don't end up returning to church. Do you know why? It's because people said that religion, more specifically the church, was for the poor, the ignorant, and the unintelligent. That's what people in the world see when they go to church, what they experience. It's just a place full of poor, ignorant, and unintelligent people. That's us. That's what the world labels us as. And that's hurtful to hear. In addition to this, there have been a number of studies that have been released since that survey was released, trying to find this correlation between this negative relationship of religion and intelligence, meaning the more intelligent you are, the less likely you are to be religious because you would know better because religion is just a sham because God isn't real. And what you believe isn't real because a smart person would know better. Now, just because we have all these statistics and these studies, does that mean that we can legitimately say that Christians are less intelligent than other people, than other religions? Absolutely not. 
Because you see, intelligence isn't about having all the right answers. Intelligence isn't even about having answers to begin with. Intelligence is defined by the world is the ability to acquire knowledge and skill. That's it. That's intelligence, the ability to acquire knowledge and skill. But you see, the world looks at us as Christians and they say, when you're confronted on your faith, you just use God as a crutch saying, well, you know what? It's, it's okay because I have faith that this is real. I believe that this is real. And they think that we don't have an original thought of our own. So therefore, we must be unintelligent. We must not be smart because if we were smart, we would say something different. We would do something different. We would live our lives differently. And this isn't anything new, folks. We've been dealing with this since the very beginning of Christianity. In fact, in 8177, an uh, anti-Christian philosopher by the name of Selphysis, he wrote a thesis called True Doctrine. And in his thesis, he wrote this scathing critique about the Christian movement and what he saw was popular among Christians. Without holding anything back, look at what he has to write. He says this, the following are the rules laid down by the Christians. Let no one come to us who has been instructed or who is wise or prudent. But if there be any ignorant, unintelligent, foolish, or uninstructed persons, let them come with confidence. By which words, acknowledging that such individuals are worthy of their God, they manifestly show that they desire and are able to gain over only the silly, the mean, the stupid with women and children. Ouch. Whoa. This is what the world sees as us as Christians. Let's just look at some of these adjectives that he uses to define us as Christians. Ignorant, unintelligent, foolish, uninstructed, silly, mean, and stupid. This is what the world believes we are as Christians. And not only that, but then he goes to attack women and children. You see, Celsus was owning in on this popular Christian critique that Christians are uneducated because only the educated people would know better than not to rely on something as foolish as scripture, as foolish as a God. They should know better. And you know what? There was some truth behind that in the time that it was, was written because Christians during this time, they were uneducated, but so was the rest of the world. Education was not popular. Education wasn't something that was big. And it was only the elites and the scholars and very specific people consider themselves very educated. So of course, they're going to say that Christians aren't educated because the rest of the world was uneducated. But not only that, when they looked at the gospel message, they realized that there was a foolishness about it to begin with in the eyes of the world. That's why the apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, this is exactly why the elites, the scholars of those days, they mocked, they ridiculed, and they criticized Christianity. And they labeled Christians as being unintelligent because that's what they saw, because that's what they wanted to believe. But when you really look at it a little bit closer, you'll see that the world actually believed that a lot of Christian anti-intelligence, it actually came because Christians tend to rely on their intuition more than on knowledge. Christians tend to rely on intuition more than knowledge. And what we see as we go through this world is this idea where they're saying, look, we're going to keep attacking you because you have no proof. You have no evidence. You have no support for the reasons of why you believe what you believe. Show me your evidence. Show me your proof and I'll show you your intelligence. But when we can't do it, they mock us. 
And they criticize us because we go back to our intuition. We go back to the things that we believe are true, the things that we hold dearest to our lives. What we know is truth. What we know is right. What we know is real. But the world doesn't care about that. The world wants proof. The world wants evidence. And we live in a world that will fail to believe unless they have the evidence, tangible evidence laid out before them, right for them to see. And you see, we've gone through our entire lives combating this. And it's no wonder why Christians try so hard to memorize Bible verses, to memorize scripture, because deep down, we're afraid of being attacked. We're afraid of being questioned about our beliefs, about our religion, about our faith, because we don't know how we would answer. We don't know what the question is. And we're afraid someone, a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, a friend, somebody in our social circle is going to ask us deep questions about our faith that we can't answer. And it's going to make us look unintelligent. And it's going to make us look foolish. But that's bad religion. That's bad religion because we are intelligent. We are smart. Because we have the power of Jesus Christ. Because we have the information that Jesus Christ has so freely given to us again and again and again and again. And unfortunately, it's something the world's never going to believe. Something the world's never going to grab hold of. But it's what we need to cling on to as Christians. It's what we need to hold on to as part of the foundation of our faith and why we believe what we believe. And the world just will never get that. You see, because there's something deeper at play here. The real issue behind why people think that Christians are anti-intelligent is because Christianity was known for doing something uniquely distinctive, something completely different in the fact that it was something that was available for everyone. You see, Celsus recognizes this when he says it's just for the women, it's just for the children, the people considered the least of these during this day and age. And no wonder why the scholars and the elites, they wouldn't want anything to do with it because it was beneath them. But that's what's so amazing about scripture. That's what's so amazing about Christianity and our faith in Jesus Christ is that there's something in it for everyone. The marginalized, the overlooked, the rich, the poor, the male, the female, the adult, the child. There's something for everyone to grab a hold of. And people are afraid because it's breaking down societal norms. It's breaking down the barriers of gender, of age, of social class, of wealth. And it's putting us all on the same playing field. And people don't like that. People in our world want to feel entitled. They want to feel like they are better off than other people. When you remove that from them, when you remove that control, of course, they're going to lash out. Of course, they're going to be argumentative. Of course, they're going to go on the attack. And what's the best way to attack someone? To attack their intelligence. To say, you don't know what you're talking about. Because most people don't know how to respond to that. Because we're not prepared for those kind of questions. And so what we want to do as Christians is we need to be ready for these attacks. We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. We need to know exactly what it is that the world is throwing at us. We need to break the stereotype that bad religion assumes that Christians are anti-intelligent. And the way that we do this is by knowing what charges are being brought against us. Just like in a court case, right? You have the right to know what you're accused of. And so this morning, I want to share with you some of the things that the world is accusing us as Christians. The things that they're saying, this is why we believe or why we know you're unintelligent and disprove us. And we're going to work our way through some of those. The first one being this, in 2016, Four of the top five best-selling Christian books were Christian-themed adult coloring books. What does that say to the world around us? This is both distressing and revealing. First, that Christians, we don't read well, right? 
And secondly, that we don't read things of substance, that we're just these good, peaceful, easy people who like to stay within the lines where it's comfortable, no pun intended because coloring, right? We just like to stay in the lines and color and we're really happy with our artwork because it's neat and pretty and people can leave us alone while we're just coloring our own world. That's what the world sees. But we as Christians, we need to be challenging ourselves. We need to be going above and beyond. We need to be reading books about religion, books about marriage, books about relationships, about communication, finances, how to deal with conflict, how to be a successful business person. We need to read things that are going to grow us, not just spiritually, but mentally and physically as well. And we need to get to a place where we're even reading the Bible more frequently where we're getting in to know the truth and the message which God has already prepared for us, the evidence that he has laid out before us that we can use in our conversations. There are so many great resources out there that prove the legitimacy of the Bible, that prove the legitimacy of our faith and of Christianity and of Christ that we don't even tap into. These are the kind of things that we need to be reading. But when the world sees statistics like this, no wonder why they think we're unintelligent because we're just a bunch of adults who have nothing better to do with our time than just color rather than use our minds. You know, centuries ago, St. Augustine wrote about the dangers that Christians face when they fail to use their minds. Look what he said. Often a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, other parts of the world, about the motions and the orbits and the stars and ever their sizes and distances. And this knowledge he holds with certainty from reason and experience. It is offensive and disgraceful for an unbeliever to hear a Christian talk nonsense about such things, claiming that what he is saying is based in scripture. We should do all we can to avoid such an embarrassing situation, which people see as ignorance in the Christian and laugh to scorn. You see, we need to get to a place where we're able to stand our own ground in a conversation where we can prove these kind of statistics wrong and say, you know, we are educated because we have done the research. We know what you're bringing against us. And more than that, we know exactly what it is that scripture tells us. And we believe, we know that our faith is proven, that it's real, that it's meaningful because we've seen it alive in our lives. We've lived it out. But that only comes when you truly begin to know your Bible. I've told this story before, but when I was in college I had a class where at the very beginning of the semester, our professor asked us to write down everything that we knew about religion and faith and Jesus and God. And after a painstaking hour of writing everything by hand, he collected all the papers and he just threw them in the trash and said, you all know nothing. He says, everything that you think you knew was based on your parents' faith or what a pastor or someone else has told you to believe. And I started thinking about that. I was like, man, that's true. Everything that I've grown up believing was something that I've heard from somebody who's standing above me and preaching down to me, something that my parents and I would talk about in the car ride or something that was brought up in a conversation amongst pastors or friends. I had done no real research in the Bible to truly know why I believe what I believe, the convictions and the passions that lead me to really want to be a Christian. I was just a Christian because I was born into Christianity. And as we went through this semester, we were challenged to really grow our own faith and what that would look like. And the way that he did that is he says that every single class, you're going to be required to answer at least one question. And when you answer, I have the right as your professor to interrogate you, to question you about how you respond to see if you truly believe what you are saying. And if you get to a point where you can't defend yourself, if you can't articulate an appropriate response, you have to leave the class for the day. 
and you can't come until the next class session with a paper written on how you should have answered it and why you should have answered it in that way. That sounds harsh, but that class, more than any other class I've ever taken in college, changed my life because it made me into the man that I am today because it taught me so much about not just myself, but it taught me about the Bible. It taught me about the real reason why I believe what I believe and what that looks like to me, what it actually means to me, because this is the reality of the world. You're going to get questioned on your faith at some point in your life, if you haven't already. And guess what? You're still going to get questioned. You're going to get questioned. And what really comes down to what the world wants to see is not the, let me hear what scripture says. They want to know, is this real for you? Why do you believe this? Why is it real to you? And if you can't answer that, if you can't stand knowing why you believe it and what it means to you, they mock us and they laugh at us and they say, you're nothing. You're just unintelligent because you're just regurgitating what you have heard and what you have learned. See, this class taught me that this book right here is the truth. This is all the evidence that I really need, but I need to know it. And that this living and breathing word of God needs to be living and breathing inside of me. And if I fail to do that, then the world's going to hold that against me. The world's going to push that against me. But you see, that's exactly the next fact the world brings against us. They say that so many people out there have a Bible, yet so few of us actually use them. So few of us actually bring it with us to church or even use it in a Bible study. Let me ask, just out of curiosity, how many of you in this room have a hard copy Bible in your homes? Please raise your hand. Look at that. That is amazing. Almost everybody in this room has their hands risen, right? Now let me ask you this. How many of you in this room actually brought that hard copy Bible to church with you today? Wow, way more than first hour. This is great, right? But still, so many hands are not raised. Why? I'm not looking for answers. Don't say them out loud. Why? What is it that we have this free resource that's given to us and yet we don't even use it? And that's what the world throws at us. They say, you've got this amazing book that has a ton of answers for you and yet you're not even using it. No wonder why they call us unintelligent. The Barna Research Group did a study and they found that 87% of people inside of America have at least one Bible in their homes. On top of that, 67% of people who consider themselves skeptic, they even own a Bible in their homes. But the sad reality was this. In that same study, they found that less than 4% of people bring their Bibles to church every week. Less than 10% of people bring their Bibles to a Bible study group. The place where you go to study the Bible, people don't even bring said Bible. What are we telling the world? What are we showing to them? How are we defending ourselves if we're not even using the resources we've been so freely given? No wonder why they make fun of us and say that we're unintelligent. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, Matt, that's not fair because I've got my tablet, I've got my smartphone, and I've got the Bible right there. So I don't need the hard copy Bible because I've got the digital Bible. And you know what? You're right. The rise of technology has both hurt us and helped us in this manner. According to that same study, they found that 55% of people who actually attend church each week, they log into the internet and they're able to search and look for the Bible passages straight from their phone during service. And I can actually attest that because we can track kind of internet usage here when you log into our Wi-Fi. I know, big brother type, right? But we can actually see that most of you, besides your ESPN, are actually looking up Bible verses uh, on your phone, which is great. But in addition to this, they also say that 43% of people who attend church use an installed app on their phone, a Bible app to read the Bible. 
And that's great. If you put the 55 and the 43 together, that's 98% of people who attend church are actively engaged in the Bible. That's great. The other 2%, either they left their Bibles at home or they just are sleeping during service. We don't know. Um, but this is great. This is what we look at. But the problem is, is that when reading the Bible in this method becomes the predominant way that we approach the Bible, it jades how we interact with the Bible. It affects our relationship with scripture. It really does. It changes the way that we interpret, the way that we process, and the way that we do things. One of the largest Bible apps that's out there is an app called YouVersion. Some of you probably have this Bible app on your phone. What's really crazy is according to statistics and the makers of the actual company, they said that it's been installed worldwide more than 260 million times since its launch in 2008. 260 million installations of the Bible app on the phone. That's incredible. That's amazing. In addition to that, they said people have spent more than, or have spent more than 235 billion minutes using the app, and they've highlighted more than 636 million Bible verses. That's great. The word is out there. It's getting out there. But the problem is that when we approach scripture, when we approach God in this manner, it doesn't give us the full picture. It doesn't give us the real story, the context of what we need to be learning. See, one of the very first things that Christians did when the computer came along was find out how to digitize it. And so we made it available on the computer. And then when smartphones and tablets came along, we said, we now need to make it mobile. So they invested a lot and they were able to make it so that anybody, anywhere, at any time could have access to the Bible. And that's great. That's amazing. But the problem with this is that when you go to your phone and when you open up your Bible app, you are taken immediately to just the passage you're looking for. You can do keyword searches for things that are really meaningful to you or you're struggling with, and it takes you to a selected group of passages, but you miss the context. You miss the story. You miss out on what God is trying to really say to you in the midst of that. See, when I read the Bible, not that I'm trying to set myself up here, but when I read the Bible, I go to the physical Bible because it's big, it's clunky, it's kind of bulky, right? It's just obnoxious when you look at it. And as I'm studying, I got to open it up and flip through the pages to find what I'm looking for. And I got to scan down and go through. But what happens is I know that Revelation's at the end. I know that Genesis is at the beginning. I know that Psalms is in the middle and I can see the stories that are even interwoven all the way through because I can read context because the living, breathing word of God begins to live and breathe in me. And it becomes invested in me and I can't help but keep reading. Versus on the phone, I just look at one thing and I'm done and I shut my phone off. And this is why so many Christians struggle because when we're asked questions about the Bible, we don't know how to respond. When people come up to you and say, did you know that this is in your Bible? You're like, no, I didn't know that. And it makes us look unintelligent because we don't even know what's inside our main resource because we haven't spent enough time in it. We're just selectively looking at scripture. We have a selective faith, a selective religion. And this is a danger. And researchers are actually saying that this is growing more and more and to the point where there's a new type of Christianity that's being developed. It's crazy. It's a lot of big words. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, moralistic therapeutic deism. What that really means is it's a belief system that focuses really heavily on the moral and the charitable side of God rather than this all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe being who wants to know you intimately and who wants you to know him intimately. 
See, people want to have this personal relationship with God, not with Jesus, with God based off of the things that matter the most to them, which right now is social justice. And so what they're looking for is a God that can kind of stand back in the shadows, let them do their own thing and deal with the world the way that they want to do it and try things that matter with social justice to them. But when they hit a roadblock, then they turn around and they call upon God who's been waiting in the shadows in the wings to come and help them, but only at their request rather than a God that's walking with you every single day, a Jesus that is physical and real and standing beside you to help you through this life. They don't want that kind of God. They want the God that's far off. And the problem is the world sees this and they say, you know what, you Christians, you're just a bunch of hippies. You're just a bunch of earth-loving, happy-go-feely people who are just caring about the earth and social things and justice and morals and charity. But when push comes to shove, you don't ever do anything about it. You talk the good talk, but as Christians, you don't walk the good walk. Instead, when you as a Christian face a hard reality in your life, do you know what your response is? Thoughts, well wishes, and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. How many times have you seen that appear on social media or Facebook or Instagram and then read the comments and see it get ripped apart by the world? It's not enough. And the world throws it at us and they say, you know what? The reason why you as Christian can only offer thoughts and prayers is because your God isn't real. Because if your God was real, he would be here right now intervening in the situation and fixing it. But because he's not, because all you have to offer is thoughts and prayers, you're even proving further to us that your God isn't real. And so therefore you must be uneducated because you don't know anything. You never act. You never have concrete evidence or proof of what's really going on. Show us that proof. Show us what's really going on and we'll actually start to believe in you. But that's hard for us. We get tripped up over this and we don't know how to respond to that. We don't know what to do with this. And it's a struggle for us. And instead of actually trying to research and do these things, we ask questions. How can I be praying for you? What can I do in this situation? And the world sees this and they say, man, this just even furthers our point because you as Christians, all you ever do is ask questions again and again and again. It's just, how can I be praying for you? What can I do for you? What's going on in your life? Why don't you actually help me rather than giving me questions that I have to answer? But you know what's so cool? Is if you look at Bible, you look at scripture, even Jesus asks a lot of questions. During his time in ministry, Jesus asked 307 questions to people. And the people asked him 120 questions. You know how many of them he answered? Three. Do you know why he only answered three questions? It's not because he didn't know the answers. He knew the answers. It's because he wanted to get at the real heart behind why people were asking these questions. Jesus knew that if he were just to give them the evidence, to give them the answers as they were looking for in their life, that still they would never be content. More questions, more things, more objections would arise. So instead he said, you know what? I could tell you the answer, but instead let's take a look at why you're asking this to begin with. What's really going on? What's at the heart of the matter behind this question? Let's get to that first, because if we can get that out of the way, then maybe some of this other stuff will make sense. Maybe some of those barriers and walls will be broken down to where you can actually be open to the idea that Jesus is real, that Christianity is real, that this whole faith thing is real. Jesus knew that it wasn't about intelligence, that it wasn't about knowledge, but Christianity, our faith, it's based on the heart. 
It's based on the heart. It's based on this idea of morals and wisdom. And it's the things that drive us to do what we do in our lives. It's based on the heart. It's based on how we respond to situation. It doesn't have to be intelligence. That's not the point. It's about doing things for people. It's about knowing really what we believe and being conviction and being passionately convicted about it, that it causes us to respond, to do things. And yeah, we don't need evidence as Christians. We don't need it because we've seen God move in our lives. We've seen the miracles. We've seen the mountains move. We've seen healings. We've seen amazing things happen. And we don't need evidence because we are the evidence. Our lives are the evidence. But the world says that's still not good enough. Show me physical, tangible, realistic proof that I can hold in my hands that your God is real. And when we say, hey, you know, it's we are the evidence. They say that's not good enough. Your heart isn't good enough. And when your heart isn't good enough, do you know where people go next to find it? To the church. And that's the last fact that I want to bring up is people say when outsiders look into the church, do you know what they see? People not living out this type of heart. People not living out this experience that God is powerful, that God is a saving grace. And do you know why? It's because it's true. The Barna Group also released a study that said 91% of people who attend church regularly hate going to church because of the hypocrites inside of it. There's truth to that. 91% of people, they still go, but they hate going to church because of the hypocrites inside of it. But you know what? It's so true because the church is made up of both sinners and non-sinners. Well, we're all sinners. We're all sinners, right? It's made up of Christians and non-Christians, people who fail, people who make mistakes, people who are growing, people who are learning, people who are trying to acquire knowledge and skills, which in the very definition of the world is intelligence. People who are trying to figure this whole God thing out. And when people from the outside look into the church and they see this lifestyle, they say, well, your religion isn't even real because look at your church, your flagship. It's all just a bunch of messed up people. But you can't base the effectiveness of the, of the church off the lifestyle of the people in it because people will always let you down. People are always going to make mistakes because we're always growing. We're always striving to learn. We're always striving to figure out what is going on. And our job as Christians is to recognize this and to help show this to the world that this church, this religion, this Christianity thing, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And our job as disciples of Christ is to make more and better disciples by pointing people off of us, off the church and to God. Because God is the ultimate source. God is where everything can be found. And that we need to shift the world's focus from focusing on the church and the lifestyle in it to focusing on its founder and its creator named Jesus Christ. Because that's what it comes down to. So what's the answer to this problem? What is the answer to all of this moral dilemma that the world thinks that we are just a bunch of uneducated people just floating around the universe without an original thought of our own? The answer is this, is that it's not always about intelligence. It's not always about having the right answers. It's not always about knowledge. It's about heart. It's about convictions. It's about passions. Nobody can judge you based off of what you feel inside, what you hold dear, what you hold to be real. But you also have to recognize that the world may not believe that. The world may not hold to those same standards, to those same beliefs. And it's our job as Christians not to offensively attack them against this, but to help them see their own experiences in their lives, the way God has moved in their lives as well, the same way that he's moved in yours, to help them understand that, to help them see that, 
and then to be there if they have questions, but also to be learned enough that you're able to educate and you're able to give a defensible answer. You see, we as Christians, it's time for us not just to be on the defensive. There's a time where it says for peace and prosperity in the gospel, but there's also time for the sword and the shield where it says sometimes stop being on the defensive, go on the offensive without being offensive, right? Or the offensive rather than offensive. That's what it comes down to. And to know that you're not alone. But you are surrounded by a great cloud of smart and intelligent people. There's a few things that the world doesn't want you to know as I close this morning. Look at this. No group in human history has contributed more to education than Christians have. No group in human history has contributed more to healthcare than Christians have. Christians more than anyone else have contributed to the welfare and protection of children. Christians more than anyone else have fought the slave trade and contributed to the cause of Christianity and charity. Christians have influenced art and culture and philosophy and politics more than any other religion. And if you think that Christians aren't smart, between 1901 and 2000, 65% of Nobel Peace Prize winners marked Christianity as their preferred religion of choice. You are surrounded by a great cloud of smart, intelligent, and educated people. Right now, you are surrounded by smart and intelligent and educated people. Don't let the world try to rob you of that or to dumb you down feeling that you're insignificant because you don't have all the answers. Because guess what? Nobody has all the answers. We're all striving to learn. We're all in this journey together, developing our faith and growing and maturing. It's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. And what may be real to you may not be real to someone else. So instead of attacking them on that, we need to lovingly come alongside of them and help them see the change that God has instilled in our lives to be the evidence that we so much see every single day in what we live and what we breathe. But it would be remiss of us also to go from this place today thinking that it's just enough to be okay. We need to do our part as Christians to get into the word, to read our Bibles, to read outside sources so we can intelligently speak when people come against us. It's like I said, the world wants evidence and there's nothing that's ever gonna change that. And maybe even we will never change that. For instance, when I was at Disneyland working there, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, I had a friend um, who came from Afghanistan. He was Islamic. I spent three years working with him, sharing my faith to him. And after three years of almost daily conversations, we finally broke down some barriers. And we were able to have a real conversation about what we believe and why we believe and compare it and bond. There was no force. There was nothing that was shoved down his throat. It was a process. And we as Christians need to realize that as well. The world is always going to think that we're unintelligent, but it's a process. We need to come alongside of people, not even attacking them, but lovingly showing them exactly what it is that God has done from us and be the people that God has called us to be. And so I challenge you today, as you leave this place, not to think, man, that was a great impactful sermon, but I challenge you as you walk out these doors today to do something about it, to go home, put your phones, put your tablets down and get into the living, breathing word of God. There's so much joy and freedom that comes when you start to read and highlight and mark things up in your Bible. I have a Bible that's just completely marked all over the place with things that I have learned just by reading into it. As a family, get together and read scripture. Go to the beach, go to the park, go to the mountains, go somewhere where you can spend time in the word of God and educate yourself because the world is going to attack you. And if you don't have a hard copy Bible, come find me after service. I would love to give you a Bible. So that way you can leave this place today being prepared and being equipped to handle what the world's gonna throw at you. 
There's no reason why you should leave today not feeling like you are prepared enough for what the world's going to say, how the world's going to treat you, how to stand your ground when they say that we're unintelligent. Because to leave here today without that preparation, without a Bible, well, that would just be unintelligent. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we are just so humbled to be used by you. God, we know that there are certain times in our lives that you move, Father, that you speak to us, and it is clear as night and day. But God, we need to realize that some people don't see you in this manner. God, that some people struggle to experience you, to find you. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered. We know that's the reality. But Father, I pray that you would just help us as Christians, help us as your people redirect our hearts. Father, instead of going on the offensive, going on the attack, or just shutting down and being quiet because we're unprepared, Father, that we would just be able to show heart. Father, to show love, to share personal experiences, to have a conversation with people, to be open, to be willing to hear what they're experiencing, Father, what they're going through in their lives, or why they believe what they believe. Father, I pray that you would just strengthen us and embolden us and equip us to have these real conversations. And that, Father, we would just be empowered by you to take a stand for our faith, to take a stand against the world that says that we're not smart, and to truly point the world away from ourselves and show them who you are. We love you, Father, and pray this in your name. Amen.